Uh, Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. So if you're, if you're okay with this, I want to I kind of give a little inside baseball. Uh, I don't usually go into the machinations of sermon prep and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, it'd be very boring if I did. But, uh, but this week was a little bit unique um, because my plan was to preach on the mission of the church this morning. And I was excited about that. Jesus has given the church a mission. We're not just the people kind of floating along in life. Um, we're, the church is not just a hospital. If you ever hear, the, the, this is how I see it. The church should have a hospital wing, okay, for people who are wounded. Because that's, that is part of our calling is to bind up the brokenhearted and the wounded. But nobody wants to live their life. Where do you live? I live in the hospital. That's where I want to be. The hospital's for the healing. And then, but God has given us as a family a mission. And I love that. I love that so much. It's called the Great Commission. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was eager to remind us of that mission and thought it would be an easy message to prepare. And even, I even came up like a month ago with a great title. It was called Gathering Momentum in the Mission. Isn't that good? Aren't you excited to hear that? Except that's not what I'm going to preach. Because as the week went on, like Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with like... Not with the idea of the mission, because I believe in it, but I was struggling with some things that were kind of banging around in my heart. First of all, is the word mission and missional churches is kind of trendy today. It's kind of a trendy thing, and that's okay. It's good if it keeps it in front of believers' minds. But some, especially in this country, define a missional church as a church that draws a lot of unchurched people. And, and that's a wonderful thing. But the question has to be asked, what are we drawing in, them into? What are they drawing them with? And uh, I remember one pastor told me his strategy for reaching the unchurched was to make church the most exciting thing happening on Sunday next to the NFL. So good luck today. You got the championship today going on. But the idea is to have smoke and lights and exciting preaching and uh, professional quality worship bands and all of that. And listen, I, I love all that. I got no problem with that. I think it's great. I love it. I got no problem with that. The, the, the question I think we need to wrestle with is when the smoke fades and the lights turn down and the band is still, what are people being discipled? That's the bigger question. Are being, be, people being discipled? Because the fact is we have to be careful because what we win people with is what we win them to. And so if all we're winning people to is to be entertained and have a great hour or two hours with amazing this and amazing that, but are their hearts being discipled towards the Savior who said, anyone who wants to follow me has to pick up his cross, die daily, and follow me which is a little harder to make really happy, you know, and entertaining. So that was kind of banging around in my heart, but also slowing my momentum on a message about momentum was that I looked back over the years. See, over the years, I've 
preached a number of messages on mission. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I can plagiarize myself a little bit. That is allowed. And look back at some past messages. But something began to kind of stir in my heart, to be honest, that as I, as I reviewed the, the let's do mission together messages, I'm not sure they served us that well in the long run, because I don't know that they answered the question, what does that look like in real life? How does that play out in real life? For most of us, evangelism is a scary word. It's something we hope somebody else is doing, but we're not called to do it. And boy, when we hear a message on evangelism, it's like, oh, you know, let's get this over with. How do we share the gospel when it's hard to even bring Jesus up in a conversation? How do we get that conversation started in a way that, that doesn't feel forced and artificial or pressured? How do we present Jesus in a way that's real and authentic in a world that is, that is you know, increasingly skeptical and sensitive to hypocrisy or inauthenticity? And when we talk about mission together as a church, what does that even look like? Like, what does that look like? So I really didn't want to just kind of lay a mission message, like, let's do mission. And then we go, and it's like, okay, I'm excited. But what do I do? I wanted and hoped to give, and not just in this one sermon, but through, through the months to come, real life uh, application that we as a church community can can find authentic and and by the Lord's grace practical ways to do the mission that God has given to us. So as much as I love the title "Gathering Momentum for the Mission," and I'm gonna I'm gonna use that someday, um, I'm gonna save it. And I've titled the message this morning "Come and See," and we're starting in the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse forty-three. Let's read. A few verses, and then we'll go to God in prayer. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Lord, we ask you to bless this time in your word. And we ask you, Lord, to help us, each of us, to be the light you've called us to be in this world with the people that are in our lives. And give us a heart for people, especially those who don't know you. And let this sermon, Lord, help our hearts to find new ways to gain traction in the mission you've called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to notice in these verses is there's a lot of finding going on in these verses. Jesus finds Philip, Philip finds Nathanael, 
And then he tells Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. It's a lot of finding going on. From Philip's perspective, he found Jesus. But from Jesus' perspective, he found Philip. Both are true. Philip found Jesus because he was sincerely searching for the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. That didn't just fall out of the air. He was searching for the Messiah. And Jesus says, those who seek will find. But before Philip was ever born, Jesus decided that Philip would be one of his 12 disciples. So, as we read, on a certain day, the next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee, or leave the Jordan, go to Galilee, and find Philip. You know, there's a Bible verse that says, we love him because he first loved us. It's also true, we found him because he first found us. I want to to pause here with Philip for a moment because it's really important for us to recognize that before Philip could help Nathaniel find Jesus, Philip had to find Jesus for himself. We can't lead others to Jesus if we don't know him ourselves. Unless, until we've met him as our Savior, we can't lead others to him as the Savior. So the most important question to ask this morning is this, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most important question for us to ask. Maybe someone here, you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You know about him maybe, maybe a little, maybe a lot. Maybe you go to church, maybe you don't. Maybe you believe in information about him. Maybe you don't know, maybe you're searching. But have you met him as your Savior? See, Jesus isn't an idea. He isn't a good teacher who lived a long time ago and died and left us some things we could think about. Jesus is the Son of God, the one who came to save us. And yes, we've, we've focused a lot on his death this morning with communion, with his death and the blood poured out and all of that. But Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He is not dead. He is more alive than all of us in this room put together. So have you met Jesus? Have you found Jesus? Is the most important question that each of us should ask. Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as your best friend? Do you know him as the Lord of your life? Do you trust him to guide you in this life and then to bring you into his kingdom after this life is through? Have you come to Christ? I want to begin with that question. Because if you haven't, you can come today. You can come to him today. You don't need to wonder, does Jesus even want me? Will he even accept me? I have done so much. You don't know my life. I've gone so far down roads, Jesus wouldn't even want me. Jesus probably wouldn't even accept me. Jesus promises everyone who comes to him, he will never cast them away. Nobody's ever come to Jesus and Jesus said, get out, I cast you away. No one has ever, if you take one step to Jesus, he'll take a hundred steps to get to you. 
No one can be so far gone. No one can be so great a sinner. No one can make so many uh, uh, mistakes that Jesus wouldn't receive them. He came for the sick, not the healthy. His blood shed on the cross is powerful enough to cleanse anyone of their sin if they will come to him and anyone who comes to Jesus, he will never cast away. So the question isn't, will Christ receive me? The question is, will I receive Christ? The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, it is you who cast out the Savior, not the Savior who casts you out. The bolt to the door is on the inside. It is you who have bolted it. And it is you who must undo the bolt and invite the Savior to enter your heart. He is willing enough to come in wherever there is a soul that wants him. Jesus is a Savior to all who want him as their Savior. I remember as a teenager wanting him as my Savior. He came in and he's been with me ever since and the best friend In a life full of good friends, he's been my best friend. When we unbolt the door and ask Jesus into our hearts and lives, he's faithful to come in. And when we find him, we will then find out that he found us first. Philip found Jesus because Jesus found him. And the next thing Philip does is to find his friend, Nathaniel. He looks for him. He goes to look for his friend, Nathaniel, to tell him the news. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one we've been waiting for who was promised to us. Philip is on mission. This is mission. This was not a program. All right, I want each of you to go out and find three friends. This was mission in Philip's heart. This was mission, but it was mission that was so excited. It was, he was so excited, he couldn't keep it to himself. And so he runs to tell his friend. So how do we do mission? How do we start that spiritual conversation with someone we care about? I would encourage us, let's start where Philip started. Share the overflow of Jesus's love and grace to you with those in your life. Share the overflow of Jesus with people that are in your life. See, Philip didn't preach at Nathaniel. He just shared the good news that he had found. He, so share your story. Share the good news of Jesus. Just share, just be excited. Share the hope you have in Jesus. Share the, how Jesus, how God has forgiven you, how God has freed you from bondage in your life, how God has given you hope and how God is, walks with you in the valleys. You know, some of the, and over the years and the decades we've been here, some of the most powerful, beautiful testimonies have been people who have walked through deep, deep valleys of pain and loss and grief and yet in all the sadness, in all the grief, there is this aroma of hope and even joy that is such a powerful witness to others who say, I want that. I want that. Share. Share what God is doing in real life, ways in your life. My dad was good at that. My dad passed away quite a, quite a, quite a few years ago, but my dad had had a hard life. Uh, lost his mom at a very young age, got married, had a son by the age of 19, worked dead-end factory jobs, watched his marriage, his young marriage, fall victim to the stresses and pressures of life, 
divorce and I stayed after my parents got divorced I stayed with my dad so I got to know him over the years in ways as I grew older um, and uh, there was an undercurrent with my dad of melancholy I don't know how else to describe it a, a an undercurrent of sensitive melancholy in the world a uh, in the sense in him a sadness and, and that sadness and that that kind of almost like a fatalism enabled him to write some very beautiful poems I still get teared up when I read some of these poems um, some of them were published um, and it often touched and I've still recently like within a couple of years I, I heard from somebody who found his poems and is presenting them in Michigan and, and has been touched by them he he touched chords in the hearts of people because he he saw life through this melancholy way and he was able to bring it around in a way that touched chords in people's hearts and that's a beautiful thing but then he found Jesus and Jesus lit him up lit him up he was so excited about Jesus he couldn't help but share about the Lord so much he annoyed people he was one of those annoying Christians. He worked at a community, he was a teacher at a community college. A lot of the teachers ostracized him. But you know who didn't ostracize him were the students. Students would come to him and pour out their heart to him. And he, would able, he would, was able to share the Lord with them and pray with them. And so many evenings he'd sit down to dinner and tell us about this student that prayed to receive Jesus. Or that student because he just couldn't help to share the overflow I, I had somebody once tell me you know uh, he annoyed us you know because he just shared all the time but we knew it was from his heart it was because he was so excited and that had an effect on me my dad was a Philip sharing Jesus with Nathaniel's all around him that had effect on my heart he played a large role in leading me to Christ and I also went from being a little bit more of a melancholy feeling lonely teenager sad kind of disoriented in life still still a little disoriented in life but um, to being so excited about Jesus and I would tell people at school about Jesus um, and I led one of my friends to Christ and another friend who used to mock me in a friendly way, in a, in a good-humored way, but mock my Christian faith in a, Christ, in a good-natured way, years later found me out at a meeting I was at. He came up to me and he said, you know, I just want to tell you, I, I came to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful thing that was. So here's the thing. When you're excited about something, you just want to share it. Share the overflow of Jesus' love and grace with those in your life. Share your story, including the hard things, the sad things, how the Lord's forgiven you. All of that, how he's meeting you, where he's meeting you. And listen, as you share it, sometimes they're not going to want to hear it. And I do not recommend you do what my dad did. I mean, I think he was a little, maybe a little overzealous at times. But if somebody doesn't want to hear it, let it go. Let it go. Don't shove it down their throats. But God will have some people ready and prepared. Their hearts will be ready to hear it. And your job is the witness, not to convince. Okay? You're not there to convince the jury. You're just there to tell what you've seen. That's what Philip does. That leads us to a second thing Philip does and, and a second thing Philip doesn't do. And that is that the thing to do is this. Invite people to come and see. The thing not to do is argue. Don't get into a big argument. 
So we move on in the story and we read how Nathaniel says, and he's just a blunt guy, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In those days, I had to read about this, Nazareth was a town that was looked down on, commonly looked down on. It was held in low esteem. The people that were from Nazareth were mocked and held in derision and contempt. It was, it was a low place in people's eyes. So when Nathaniel says this, he's repeating the cultural belief that Nazareth is useless. It's worthless. Nothing good comes out of it. I had a small taste of this when I was in um, uh, Santa Marta, Colombia. We, uh, on our last night with the, pa- the Colombian pastors, we went out to this really nice place for dinner, and it was an outdoor thing, and there was a band, small band playing, and the band leader got to interacting with the pastors, and what happened is he began to ask them, where are you guys from? And, you know, it's from Barranquilla and, you know, wherever, Riochas and different places, and, and it was mentioned that Pierre's from Soledad, and he said, Soledad, that's like a different country. That's a different world. And everybody laughed. And, and Pierre laughed. He's good-natured. But it reflected, it reflected a general mocking tone towards Soledad as a town. Nazareth and its people were laughed at and despised. So Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth, is a natural question. What, what good could come out of Nazareth? What good could come out of Soledad? I'll tell you what kind of good can come out of Nazareth and Soledad. Jesus kind of good. Jesus kind of good. Jesus came as an outsider. He could have been born as a multimillionaire. He could have been born as a king. He could have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth and driving a Lexus and all these, the power and the status. And then he could have hobnobbed with the powerful and the well-connected. And that could have been who Jesus came as, but he didn't. He came as an outsider. He came as an outcast. Whispers that he was illegitimate because Mary wasn't yet married to Joseph. He was despised and rejected. He was looked down on by the religious establishment and by the socially connected. Isaiah 53.3 says of Jesus, like one from whom people hid their face, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. God chose the foolish and the weak to confound the wise. But Philip could have gotten defensive. Nathaniel, I'm shocked at you that you're so small-minded. And, you know, the Nazareth is actually a very nice town. And you're being very prejudiced and very this and that. And he could have gotten defensive. He could have gotten distracted. All he said was, come and see. Come and see. And Grace Community Church, that's what we want to be. A come and see church. Come and see. That's what we want our witness to be. We don't want to be the argumentative church. We don't want to be the defensive church, the isolated church. We don't want to be the apologizing church. Sorry, sorry, sorry for us. We don't want to be any of those things. We want to be the come and see Jesus. Now, we're not saying come and see us. 
We're just a bunch of ordinary people, nothing to see here, but come and see Jesus in our lives. Come and see him for yourself. We want the light of his grace to shine and the love of his grace to shine in our community, and then we let Jesus do the rest. We share the gospel, we shine the light, we witness, and then we pray and ask Jesus to reveal himself to them. And that's my last point I want to share for us this morning is let's pray for people to meet Jesus. Pray for them to meet Jesus. You see, Nathaniel was skeptical, but he went and see. He went to see, and Jesus did the rest. Let's pick up in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As Nathanael approaches Jesus, to his surprise, Jesus says, Hey, you're, you're a man of integrity. And Nathanael's like, How in the world do you even know me? How do you know me? And Jesus answers, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. That's all Nathaniel had to hear. He's convinced. He's convinced you're the son of God, the king of Israel. The question comes to mind, what did Jesus see? What is it about that one line? Before he called you, I saw you under the fig tree. What does that mean? What happened under the fig tree? Was he praying? Was he meditating? Was he talking to himself? Who knows? We don't know. Whatever it was, we have no idea. We have no idea. All we know is it was a moment between Nathaniel and God that no one else knew anything about. But it was a deep moment for him. And the fact that Jesus was there I'm just talking to God. And Jesus was there. You are the son of God. The truth is, we all have our public face. Nathaniel had his public face. Ain't a good thing come out of Nazareth. And he comes, probably, I'm going to check this guy out and everything. But he had a private face too. He had a private place between him and his God that no one else knew about. We all have that. We have a public face, and we have private face, private moments, private things that no one but God sees, no one but God in us knows about. Private fears and hopes and sadness and regrets and dreams, insecurities and despairs, private. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, but I'm just aware of the brokenness in this world. And I see brokenness in people. And, and it hurts to see 
so much brokenness. And people have all the, you know, the good, hey, how are you doing, man? Good to see you and everything. But, in, but there's a brokenness, brokenness in the heart in spirit. And people numb themselves to the daily pains with this and that and the next thing, trying to numb themselves and get through the day and, and get to the next day. And, and we can't always even see that, but Jesus sees it. And so our, our mission is to invite people to come and see him. And then pray that they encounter Jesus for themselves. Pray that they encounter him for themselves. Because he's able to change lives. He's able to transform people. He's able to save people to the uttermost. So my challenge this morning is to invite. Invite people to come and see Let's gather momentum in inviting people to come and see. Let's be a come and see church. That's what we want to be. So I, I want to just share very quickly four thoughts for us to kind of take, and we'll hopefully unpack them more as we move on in this year. But, let's, but here's, a, here's a, a very important uh, challenge, encouragement for you. Invite unchurched people into your life. Invite them into your life. Just, you know, if you're watching the game tonight, invite them to come over and watch the game. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. Invite them wherever. And you don't have to be perfect. Just be authentic. Just be real. Just be real. That's what people need to see. Jesus is real. We just need to show the reality of Jesus. We're not perfect. The second thing I want to encourage and challenge us to is to invite unchurched people to come to church with you. Invite unchurched people. Hey, would you come to church? Come to church with me. You see, people are not going to respond to that to strangers, probably. But they are, they say like 80 some percent of people are willing to try out a church if they're invited by a friend. The relationship is so important to people today. And why? Why? Because there is power in the gathered presence of believers rather than just our, our lone. You know, Philip invited Nathaniel, come and see. And he came to Jesus and he came to the disciples and he came to see what God was doing. There is power when believers gather in Jesus' name, even small groups, two or more. There's power when believers worship the Lord. There's power in hearing God's word preached. There's power in fellowship and experiencing believers together. So invite friends and neighbors to church. I had a friend who mocked my Christianity. But I invited him to church. He came to church. And there Steve gave his heart to the Lord. He went from mocking to believing. It wasn't me. He saw life in the church. Third, let's continue to be who we are, a warm and welcoming church. And that's ministry, folks. That's, that's an important thing. You might be the person who makes a difference in someone else. They come in and you reach out to them and they see the love of Jesus. They experience the love of Jesus in you. I, I knew the story of a woman who, 
was invited to a very large church and she drove up and she sat there in the car and she was afraid to go in. People find going to church sometimes a scary thing and she was afraid to go in even though she had been invited by somebody and she was about to drive away when someone walked up and knocked on her window and said, would you like to come in and sit with me? And yeah, she went in. She was about to leave. And that one person did not know they were on a mission that morning. But their friendly reach out had a tremendous impact on her as she came to know and trust in the Lord. You are that person. Every Sunday morning is that time, as well as the rest of the week. But we can make a difference by just coming in as missionaries to look, how can I pray with somebody? How can I encourage somebody? How can I, how can I reach out to somebody and befriend them? And then my last point, my last thought, is I want us to plan at least two community outreaches this year. Two ways we touch the community. We kind of pull back on those because of COVID. COVID's over, amen? I don't know if it is actually, but it's over. <laughs> It's over as far as us not reaching out to the community. As far as that goes, it's over. I want us to plan two community outreaches that we work together to reach out, to touch people and connect with our community and our neighbors in, in people that are in our areas and people that are in our lives so we can connect. Why? I'll tell you why. Why does this matter? Why does reaching people matter? Because people matter to God. That's what matters to God, people. At the end of your life, I said it last week, you're not going to care about how much money you made or, you know, where you rose to in your job or anything. You know what you're going to care about is your people. People. People matter to God. So out of the overflow of our joy, let's invite people to come and see Jesus for themselves. Let's pray together. Lord, every one of us in this room has a story. Every one of us has a story. Many of us could point to the day or the time or at least the season of our life where we came and we saw you, where our lives were touched by your grace, by the person of Jesus, where we went from unsaved to saved. We went from a stranger to God to children of God. And we thank you for that. And we give all the glory to Jesus, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. What a Savior. What a Savior. Lord, some stories in here may be that some have walked away or some are far away from God. Some are backslidden or like sheep on the hill. Lord, have left the 99. We pray that you will stir in their heart to bring them back, Lord. Family members we know of who are not here. Friends we know of who are not here. We pray you bring them back, that they would come and re-see the beauty of who Jesus is. And Lord, anyone who does not know Jesus, we pray that you will open their eyes to see and want Jesus because nothing else and no one else can give us eternal life and an abundant life here. 
So we pray that you will open eyes. So Lord, we as a church, we humble ourselves before you and we ask you to help us, Lord, to grow in mission that looks like come and see. That is come and see mission. And help us to do it at individually. Help us to do it together. And Lord, we ask you to bless it with much fruit and many salvations. Help us to grow as disciples, for that is our mission. And we give you all the glory and praise, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You are now entering the mission field. And uh, just invite people into your life and say, come and see. Bless you guys.